Hey, grab your Bibles if you would. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Um, I promise. I promise the pace will pick up. I really, really do. Now, it's been a, it's been a while since I mean, we started this, this series, the volume, the volume of the book series. We get that from Psalm 40. From Psalm 40, where Jesus says the volume of the book speaks about him and that Jesus is on every page. No matter where you go in your Bible, you're going to find Christ. Um, man, I thought Mason did a great job walking us through um, all of the rest of chapter one, and we're going to find ourselves in chapter two. So let me kind of set the stage, if I can, for a moment. Um, so it's not on your, nothing's on your sheet yet. I just want to kind of remind us of where we've been, just do a quick review of where we've been. And so the very first week, we looked in Genesis chapter one and verse one with the creator in his creation, right? The, the fact that when, when you look at creation, it points to a creator. And when you look at a creator, you're faced with a choice. Am I going to worship God? Or am I going to worship his creation? And there's a lot of people who make the wrong choice, according to Romans chapter one, as they make their own version of God. And we spent some time looking at that in Genesis 1.1. And then the next week, we spent some time looking at that gap of time, I believe, that's between Genesis 1.1 and Genesis 1.2, where the world becomes without form and void. You can see that in verse 2, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, that the earth was without form and void and darkness upon the face of the deep and the Spirit of God is moving upon the face of the waters. Well, that's because Lucifer fell. We read about that in Ezekiel 28, Isaiah chapter 14. He's, Lucifer fell and caused the earth to become a wilderness. That's what it says in Isaiah chapter 14. But we also spent some time there talking about the theme of the Bible is. Remember, it's not salvation. It's not man. It's not even the Bible. The, the theme of the Bible is the battle for the kingdom. It's the second coming of Christ. It's a battle for a throne. And we spent some time laying that all out. And so we had the creator and his creation, and then we had the chaotic fall. And then last week, uh, Mason took us through the capstone of creation, that, that, man restore, that God restores the creation. And that's what you read in Genesis chapter one, all the way into chapter two. And God restores his creation, but then he creates man in his own likeness, in his own image. You see that in verses 26 to 28. Genesis chapter one, verses 26 to 28, is that man is the pinnacle of God's creation. He creates him in his likeness and image. If you remember, that's what Lucifer wanted in the beginning, wasn't it? He wanted to be like the Most High. And so God in his most nananana-boo-boo moment, nananana-boo-boo says, okay, watch this. You fell, and then he's gonna take man and, and have Adam and Eve and create him in his likeness and the image, just right in his stomping grounds, in his, in his dominion, in the Garden of Eden. I just think that is pretty amazing. And Mason's main thrust last week was, you are important, you are special, you matter to the Lord, amen? And that's it. All right, so then we get to chapter two today. Chapter two, and we're not going to get very far. We're just going to get to the verse, first three verses. So if you'll open your Bible and stand with me in honor of the word of God. Genesis chapter two, verses one to three. <clears throat> Genesis two, verses one to three. Is everybody there say amen? Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. 
And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it, he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for this, these verses. Lord, they are pivotal. They are so important to our understanding of history and the word of God. Lord, I pray that you would illuminate your scriptures to us. May we behold wondrous things out of thy law. And Lord, that you would use me mightily to proclaim your truth. In Jesus, I pray, amen. All right, so do me a favor. Have your spot there, but also queue up 2 Peter chapter 3. Now, I'm going to have a host of verses. You have a study sheet. Um, as you came in, there was a bulletin or a study sheet, and on the front of that bulletin is a little QR code. You can scan that and get you to an electronic copy if you want. Um, but um, I think if the website's working right, we've been fighting our website, at least I have. Hopefully, that is working right. Um, as of this morning, it hadn't updated, so I hope it has. Um, but you, you should have a study sheet, and I really encourage you to maybe take some notes and, and uh, write some things down. I'm going to have a host of verses. Most of them are going to be up on the screen. However, when we get to 2 Peter chapter 3, I really want you to go and handle it with your hands. I want you to see it with your eyes. We're going to get to that later in the message, so I just wanted to give you a heads up, give you some time to make your way there. Now, there's a few things I want to see in these first, in these first few verses of chapter 2. So he's ending the creation of story. We always say the seven days of creation, at least I always grew up talking about the seven days of creation. Really, it's the six days of restoration and then the seventh day of rest. But he says, the heavens and the earth. That's interesting. Hold on to that because we're going to come back to that later in the message. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished. Very first time you find that word finish in your Bible uh, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, pay attention how many times the word seventh day shows up in these verses. And on the seventh day, that's one, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day, there's two, from all his work, which he had made, and God blessed the seventh day, there's a third time, and sanctified it. There's something special about this day that's different than all the other days. What is up with that? So today's sermon title is simply this, syncing your calendar with God's seven-day calendar. So what you're going to find as we look at, at Genesis 2, 2, 1 to 3, is uh, we're going to see that God has a seven-day calendar. And our job as believers in Christ, as Bible study students, as followers of the Lord, is to sync our calendars with, with His. Some of you who are a little bit older, or let me rephrase that, more mature in life, may not understand what I'm talking about when I say syncing your calendar. You can take your phone and have Google calendars. You can sync it with the school calendar or with the church calendar or whatever. You can have, our family has a family calendar. Something's going on. Usually I'm not the one that types it in. My wife is the one who types it in. It's amazing. It shows up on my phone. That's pretty awesome how that works. Well, the same thing applies for us, that God has a seven-day calendar and it's our responsibility to make sure that our calendar is synced up with his. And that'll make sense here in just a few moments. So the first point for study I want you to see here is that God's seventh day is a blessed day. God's seventh day is a blessed day. Notice what it says here in, in verse three, and God blessed the seventh day, blessed it. Now we'll also see that it's sanctified and that it's a restful day. We'll get to those here in just a few moments, but the God's seventh day is a blessed day. And here's what I mean by that. God does something special with this day because no other day in the creation story gets blessing. None of them. Only the seventh day gets a blessing. Now, now man gets blessed in day six. 
But this day gets blessed. God blesses this day. What's up with that? Well, here's your next point is that it's blessed day that's meant to focus God's people. That's the point. It's a day that's meant to focus God's people. Now check this out. Mark chapter two, verses 27 and 28. Mark chapter, I need you to pray. I'm hurting today. Um, Mark chapter two, verses 27 and 28. It says, and he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the son of man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Now, they're accusing Jesus of violating the Sabbath. And he says, well, hold on a second. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, there's something here that God has in store for this Sabbath, and especially the Jewish people. The Sabbath will be the seventh day, the day of rest. We'll expound on that here in just a few moments. But all I want you to see is that the end of this verse, in verse 28, is that the Son of Man is the Lord also of the Sabbath. So when they are engaging in Sabbath, when they're engaging in keeping the Sabbath and all the different Sabbaths that you find in the Bible, the idea isn't that they're just resting and kicking their heels back. The idea is that they're focused on the Lord. It frees them up to focus on the Lord. That's why it's a blessed day. It's a blessed day because it allows them to focus, God's people to focus on God. All right, so the second thing here is that it's a blessed day that's meant to instruct God's people. Why? Because God wants his people to learn from this. Now check this out, Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12 says, Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbaths, plural, to be a what? To be a sign. Now, what does the Bible tell us about signs? Who requires a sign according to the scriptures? The Jews require a sign, and that's what he's dealing with. It says, Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, that they might know. There's instruction. There's something to be learned from this, that I am the Lord that sanctified them. So again, why is, he, why is he blessed today? So that they would focus on him. You see that? But it's also God's instructing. He's teaching something here to be a sign and that they might know something. And what you find is that the finished work of God, the finished work of God is followed by seasons of rest. And you see that here in chapter two, verses one to three. When God finishes his work, it's followed by a season of rest. Now that's a biblical principle you're gonna find all throughout scripture. So if you're ever studying the the life and ministry of Jesus, you'll find that he's feeding the 5,000 and doing all kinds of things. And as soon as that hard work is done, it's like the next verse, the next chapter says, and he went apart to pray. He went alone. He got separated. Why? Because when there's busyness and hard labor and God finishes the work, it's always followed by seasons of rest. And so here's the lesson. Here's the overall lesson I want us to get today. It's not on your sheet. Just maybe you want to write this down. We need to learn to trust God's work by resting. Now, I want to define what that means a little bit later. I don't want you to picture hammock and your little snuggle bunny, right? There's a different idea of what the word rest means here. Now, I'm not opposed to rest. I think there's seasons where we need to go through times of rest, but what does the Bible mean when it says rest? We need to be able to trust God in our resting, and here's what I mean by that. 
So if he said Sabbaths. Remember that verse said Sabbaths. There's plural. There's different kinds of Sabbaths. And what he gave the Jewish people was that they were to work six days and then on the, on the seventh day, they are to rest, right? So if you remember in the wilderness, he gives them manna from heaven. They're supposed to, on the one, two, three, four, fifth day, supposed to go out every day, grab, grab what they're gonna eat, eat it that day. The sixth day, they're supposed to go out, grab double, trust the Lord, because on the seventh day, there wasn't gonna be any manna. It wasn't, it wasn't, you weren't supposed to do that, right? So there's supposed to be this day of, this moment of rest. Trust God's provision, trust in his work, and then rest in that in the seventh, in the seventh day. Everybody following that? So you see that, but also he would give them six days of work, and on the seventh, they were to rest. Um, they were to till the ground for six years. God promised on the sixth year that they were gonna have a bumper crop to dwell and to rest in that because the seventh year, they're not to till, they're not to harvest, they're to let the land rest. You'll find that they never truly did that. They never fully did that as a nation. And so God, after 490 years, removes them from the land, takes them into Babylon and says, we're gonna let the land rest for 70 straight years because you refuse to do it over 490 years. Sounds a lot familiar like Matthew chapter 18. And well, how many times should I forgive? Well, 70 times seven. 490 times. Interesting correlation from this morning. But then what you're gonna find as we study the scriptures, you're gonna find that there is 6,000 years of labor, there's 6,000 years of human history, and then goes into a thousand year millennial rest, the millennial reign of Christ. And we see all of this here in chapter two, verses one to three. God has blessed this day, he's sanctified it. He's made it a day of rest. He's done a whole lot of things, but he's there to focus God's people and instruct God's people. So there's something to be learned here in verses one to three. Here's your next point. Because he says here in verse three, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Set it apart. That's what that word sanctified means. It's special. It's sanctified. It is set apart. Well, set apart to who? What you're going to find is set apart to him. So there's something special about this day. It's the only day he blesses. It's the only day he sanctifies. There's something different about this day. All right, so here's your next point. God's seventh day has no evening and morning. God's seventh day has no evening or morning. So pay attention when God has patterns in scriptures, right? And what you're gonna find in the creation story is that every day from Genesis chapter one, verse, verse three, all the way to, to the end of the chapter one, every single day, God says, there's an evening and a morning, an evening and a morning, an evening six times. Then you get to day seven, it's not there. There is no evening and morning. So pay attention when God has a pattern and then he breaks from that pattern. Let me give you another one real quick. Um, look at verse 31 of chapter, chapter one. At the end of Let's read verse 31. And God saw everything that he made and behold, it was, what? Is it, was it good? It was very good. That's interesting. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Okay. Well, that, that's interesting. Look over here in verse, verse 21. Verse 21. 
And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every wing fell after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Look at the end of, look at verse 23. In the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Now, if you were to trace all that back, you would find that every day God says it's good, and there's an evening in the morning. However, he breaks ranks in two different verses. In verse 31, he says it's very good in response to what he's just made, Adam and Eve in the garden. He's made man in his likeness and image, so that's very good. But to go over here to day two for a moment. Let's just read day two, verse six. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, so it was so. And then it says this, and God called the firmament heaven and the evening and the morning were the second day. What's missing? God never said it was good. Every other day he says it's good. But this one, there's, there's a reason for that. We might address that on a Wednesday night. I believe there's a reason for that. But when God lays out patterns and he breaks from that pattern, pay attention because here in chapter two, verses one to three, there is no mention of an evening or a morning. So he breaks from the pattern. And what does that tell us? This is a day that never ends. It's a day that never ends. So Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27 says, of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth. Genesis chapter one, verse one. And the heavens are the work of thy hands. Chapter, chapter one, verses three, all the way through the end. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. If you're a Bible study student, you'd be paying attention to that phrase. They shall wax old like a garment as a vesture. Shalt thou change them and they shall be changed. There's a whole lot going on there. Verse 27, but thou art the same and thy years shall have no end. And what you're going to find on this, this seventh day, we're going to unpack this, is this is a day that doesn't end. There is no end to this day. But it's also a day that has no need for the sun or the moon. So let me remind you of a couple passages we looked at a couple weeks ago. Revelation chapter 21, verse 13. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon. This is a new Jerusalem that shows up at the end of the millennial reign of Christ where that day never ends. It just rolls right into this and there's no need for a sun. There's no need for a moon. Why? Because according to Psalm 102, the old heavens and the old earth is done away with. We're in a new heaven, new earth, and there's no need for a sun, neither a moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it and the lamb is the light thereof. Check out 22 verse five. And there shall be no night there and they shall need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord giveth them light and they shall reign forever and ever. All right, so this is a interesting day. It has no morning or evening. Why? Because it never ends. And if there's no need for a sun or a moon, there's no morning or evening. Y'all with me on that? He is the light of it. It never goes dark. It's always light. There's no need for the day. But now check this out. Remember, he sanctified this day. What does that mean? He set it apart. And my question to you is set apart to whom? Set apart to whom or set apart to what? Here's your next point is that God's seventh day is the Lord's day. It's the Lord's day. And maybe you're saying, well, I thought Sunday was the Lord's day. 
Uh, no. Sunday is not the Lord's day. You're not going to find that anywhere in Scripture. Sunday is not the Lord's day. Let me remind you of Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. This verse will bake your ever-loving noodle. Check this out. Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. This is John writing. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. On the Lord's day. And heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. What happens? Jesus is speaking to the apostle John while he's on the Isle of Patmos. And he translates him. He takes him out of, off the Isle of Patmos and leads him forward past your and my day to the Lord's day. What is that Lord's day? Because he's told to write the book of Revelation from that perspective, from the day of the Lord. So when he sanctifies the seventh day in Genesis chapter two, verses one to three, he sanctifies it to himself. It is his day. Y'all with me? Is this making sense so far? Y'all tracking with me? All right, so I just need you to put your mind Put your, put your mind to work here. Let's write some things down. Let's do a little bit of Bible study just for a moment. Now is where we flip to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> so 2 Peter Chapter three, I really want you to see this. So pull it up on your phone, grab a Bible that's close to you, something. Here's your point. Let me give you this point and then, then I want to jump into this. It prophetically points to the thousand year day of the Lord. This is the Lord's day. But what does that mean? It's prophetically pointing to the thousand year day of the Lord. Well, how can a thousand years be a day? Greg and I were texting about this last week, something like that. How, how can a thousand years be a day? And a lot of people just run straight to verse eight. So let me just read verse eight with you. Second Peter chapter three, verse eight. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. In other words, you need to know this. Don't be stupid. Don't be slow. Get this. Be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And he throws that in there and says, hey, you need to know this. This is going to unlock some stuff for you. And a lot of people just run to that verse and yeah, that's true. Okay. But pay attention to the context that that verse is written in. All right. So it's prophetically pointed to this thousand year day of the Lord. And 2 Peter chapter 3, man, lays out for us current times and end times for us in detail. Verse 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. It says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the, what? Last days, plural, last days, plural, scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? 
Where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, he's referring to your Old Testament fathers. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from, what's the context? Beginning of the creation. Genesis chapter one and verse one. And what the scoffers are saying, you're telling me that there's this Jesus. You're telling me that there's this promised guy coming. You're telling me that there's second coming of Christ. Where's the promise of his coming? Because as I'm living my life, I'm looking around going, uh, ain't nothing different since it all began. Which by the way, is not true, right? It's not, what they're saying is not true. There's no validity to what they're saying. Well, how do we know that? Because verse five exists. Verse five says, for this they willingly are ignorant. In other words, they have the ability to know, but choose not to know. That is ignorance, right? Stupidity is not ignorance. Stupidity is knowing and doing nothing with it. That, that's stupidity. Ignorance is not being informed, but man, there's a special kind of ignorance. It's the one where you can be informed and choose not to be, all the teachers just said. Oh, amen to that, right? So they're willingly ignorant of, it says this, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. How many of you just pictured Noah's flood? How many of you just pictured Noah's flood? Because he ain't talking about Noah's flood here. Is referring to that time of Genesis chapter one and verse one. And then he says, verse six, whereby, pay attention. All right, so I told you to pay attention to patterns in scripture. Pay attention to individual words, punctuations, pay attention to plurals, pay attention to all those things. Verse six, whereby the world that What's the next word? Then was. That's Genesis chapter one and verse one. The world that then was. Being overflowed with water. What's the next word? Perish. That's Genesis chapter one, verse two. So in the beginning, God created the heaven, singular, and the earth. And then in verse two, it says, and the earth was without form and void and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the, y'all hear me? The waters. So that's what it's referring to here in 2 Peter chapter three. It's not Noah's flood. Well, that's a big stretch there, Tony. How do you say that? Because the next verse. It says verse seven, but the, what's the next word? Y'all with me? What's the next word? Heavens and the earth, which are now. Let me ask you this. How did Noah's flood affect the heavens? It didn't. The heaven in Genesis chapter one and verse one, and the earth, they're together, standing in the water and out of the water. Then you get Lucifer floods the entire universe with water. He makes it to become desolate, makes it as a wilderness, Isaiah chapter 14. And now the earth is now submerged underwater. And what you find in what, day two, where he separates the firmament and he separates the waters from the waters. And what do you find? You get the heavens. 
Now it goes from a singular heaven, chapter one, to multiple heavens. We know there's at least three heavens because Paul knows such a one caught to the third heaven. Psalm 148 tells us there's at least three heavens. The Bible tells us there's waters above the heavens. I mean, there's a lot going on here that we'll unpack more on a Wednesday night. But what I want you to see here is pay attention to the word because it says in verse seven, but the heavens and the earth, which are now, That's Genesis chapter one, verse three, all the way to verse 31. The heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store. What did did God use to restore this heaven and to store it? And God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be a firmament. And God said this, and God said that, and God said this. It's always done by the word of God. There's power in the word of God. There's security in the word of God. But notice this, by the same word are kept in the store, reserved unto judgment against what? The day. The day. Not just a day, but the day. The day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not, there's that glorious word, what is it? Ignorant. So they're willingly ignorant in verse five. So don't be ignorant of this, verse eight. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that the one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Now this is the verse that helps unlock the Bible prophecy. All right, so let me give you your next point. This prophetically points to 7,000 years of human history. So we go back to Genesis chapter two. Go back to Genesis chapter two. Because this day, which by the way, I believe all those days that you read in Genesis chapter one are 24 hour days. And we can debate that. We can have that conversation. Because it says evening in the morning, evening in the morning. But you get to chapter two, verses one to three. It's a different kind of day. I'm not saying there wasn't evening in the morning, but it's not mentioned there. And so that tells me that prophetically, this is a day that never ends, but it's also points to a specific day. Did I tell you to leave Second Peter? I really didn't mean to do that. I really didn't mean to do that. But it prophetically points to 7,000 years of human history. So if you have time, run back over there. If not, just listen in, write the reference down. Second Peter chapter 2 Peter chapter 3, there's something else I wanted to point out here. 2 Peter chapter 3, it says that one day is with a thousand years, as, with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. But then it says this, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise to some man cast slackness, but is long suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In other words, if you go back to verse seven, he's going to judge perdition of ungodly men. Interesting phrase, by the way. He's going to judge perdition of ungodly men. This is when the Antichrist is doing his thing, which is also called the son of perdition and ungodly, ungodly men are following his leading. So they're getting the, the perdition of ungodly men. God's going to judge that. That day is coming of that day of judgment, but the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some man cast likeness, but his long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
Why? God is staying. God is waiting. God is delaying this, this sixth day. He's delaying it. Why? Because there's a day coming. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord. That's another way of saying the Lord's day. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. I'm not talking to rapture of the church. I'm talking about the second coming of Christ. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. God's going to destroy it, not by water, but by fire. Verse 12, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God. So it's called the Lord's day. It's called the day of judgment. It's called the day of the Lord. It's called the day of God. What day is it? Well, it's a day. It's a thousand year day of the Lord. It's the millennial reign of Christ. We'll unpack that here in a moment. Your point on the screen is that it prophetically points to 7,000 years of human history. So you have these seven days you find in Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, these seven days that are mentioned. If a every day prophetically points to a thousand year period, what you're gonna find is the seventh day points to the millennial reign of Christ, which also implies that the six days ahead of it also point to another other thousand year days, right? So I'm not saying those days are a thousand years long. I'm not saying that. I'm saying prophetically they point to 7,000 years of human history. Everybody understand that? So what happens in day one? God separates the light from the darkness, doesn't he? He says, let there be light in day one. So on day one of human history, what does he do? That thousand years of Adam's life who lives roughly a thousand years. Well, he's what's, what's spoken into the darkness after their fall is the promised seed. He separates that promised seed through the likeness of Cain's line and Seth's line. So that's what happens during that first thousand years. He speaks light into darkness and that is the promised seed. What happens in day two? He separates the firmament from the firmament, the waters from the waters. You see that in day two? What happens in day two of human history? Well, that's when Noah's flood happens, where the the flood and the waters are now abated. And God has to deal with separating the waters again. You see that in the second thousand years. Here's what's amazing to me. From Genesis chapter one, all the way to Genesis chapter 12, 2,000 years is accomplished in those 11 chapters. That's a lot of time in 11 chapters. And then from chapter 12 all the way to Matthew's, another, what, 2,000 years, something like that. It's crazy. So day three, what happens day three? Well, that's when the land is filled with plants and, and after their kinds. What happens in day three of human history, those next 1,000 years? That's Abraham. That's the, that's the Tower of Babel, right, where God separates and he, he fills the people and there and fills the land with, people after their kinds, according to languages. I think that's interesting. Then you get to day four, the 4,000th year. What happens on day four in creation story? God brings the sun and he brings the moon, doesn't he? What happens in day four of human history? Jesus shows up on the scene. Malachi chapter four, verse two. Malachi chapter four, verse two, but unto you that fear my name shall the son, capital S, U-N, that's Jesus, shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stalls. So what happens on the day four of the human history? Jesus, the son shows up, but not just that, also the moon shows up. Job chapter 25, verse five, behold, even the moon and it shineth not. Did you know the Bible knows and the oldest book in your entire Bible lets you know that the moon didn't shine in of its own. It reflected the light of the sun. And who is the moon? 
We are the moon. The body of Christ, the moon is a picture of the body of Christ. We reflect the light of the sun to a dark world. That's our job. We are the moon. That happens on day four of human history. Day five. What happens on day five? Well, life begins to multiply across the planet. What happens in day five of human history? Mankind begins to multiply across the, across the planet. That's done through conquest. Day six, God makes Adam and Eve in his likeness and his image. And what happens in day six of human history? We are focused on restoring the image and likeness of God in lost man. He does that through missions. He does that through the church. He does that through us. I'm telling you what, missions has taken off in the 6,000th year of human history. But then day seven, according to Genesis chapter two, verses one to three, day seven is the millennial reign of Christ. God rested from his work. And what's gonna happen after this day is over? The sixth day, which by the way, we are running out of time. The sixth day is coming to an end. There's going to be a thousand year millennial reign of Christ. And who gets to enter into that rest is those who believe and trust in the finished work of Christ. Let me take you to Revelation chapter 20, verse four. Revelation chapter 20, verse four. And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or there in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ. How long? A thousand years. That's a long day, isn't it? It's the day of God. It's the day of the Lord. It's the Lord's day. It's the millennial reign of Christ, ruling and reigning with him. Now, quickly, let me give you the last couple of points. The first one is this. God's seventh day is a restful day. Do you mind if I sit? Is that okay? Okay. God's, God's seventh day is a restful day. And once you, this is important to get. God didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he was finished. Amen? Amen. If, if by God gets tired, he ain't much of a God. He, he's, he's not tired. He's not kicking up his heels like, whew, finish that. I'm gonna take my ease. It doesn't work like that. No. He rested because he was finished. And you remember, he blessed it and he sanctified it. Why? Because there's something to learn. There's something to grasp from that. What should we do? Well, that then you know what he does? He leads his own people into rest. After he rests, what does he do? He takes Adam. He forms out of the dust of the ground, Genesis chapter two, verse seven. And he puts him into the garden of Eden to enjoy his work. All he tells him to do is, Eat what you want, as much as you want, freely eat. Have as many babies as you possibly can until the soil. That's pretty much it. Sounds pretty awesome. Dave was talking this morning. Uh, I don't remember exactly what the point was. You're like, I don't know what the point was either. He was talking this morning about, man, it'd be the reason we have to work today is because of the fall. The reason that work exists, the sweat of our brows, all those type of things. And isn't it interesting? We live in a society in the world that nobody wants to work anymore. Now we can make that all about politics if we want, but I'm not talking politics. Society is doing everything it possibly can to get back to the garden on its own. 
and it can't be accomplished. They can't work their way back to the garden. What you're going to find is that when God finishes his work, he leads his people into his rest. So he finished the work and he said, I'm going to take this man and this woman who's like in my likeness and in my image and put him in into my rest. In, in, in the, in the uh, we call that, in the wilderness where he's leading them out of Egypt. He wants to take him into the promised land. They didn't go because they didn't believe. Then he takes the sons of God. That's you and I, when we trust in the finished work of Christ, we enter into his, his rest. The nation of Israel, what's gonna happen during that millennial reign of Christ that we talked about. That's all about the Jews finally getting into the promised land that they never fully inhabited. And they're going to dwell there, but you and I, we get to rule and reign with him for a thousand years in that, in that rest. And so here's the question on the table, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? And here's the simple answer. It's in the, there's rest in the finished work of Christ. Jesus is rest. That's who he is. He is our rest. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. And in that day shall there be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people to it shall the Gentiles seek and whose rest? His rest shall be glorious. Jesus calls us unto his rest. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Come unto me, all ye that are labor and heavy laden. All ye that labor, that's your work. What makes you tired? It's your work. All ye that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. That means it belongs to him. Rest belongs to him. It's his rest. That's why he's qualified to give it. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you. That's his work. So if you're tired in your work, take up his work. That's the best rest you could possibly have. And learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. This isn't rest for your body. This is a soul rest. This is rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. What's he asking us to do? Take rest in his work. I'm finishing, I promise you, I'm finished. And we enter into that rest through belief. That's how it's done. We enter into that rest through belief. And my question to you is, are you willing to rest in God's finished work? Are you willing to rest in his finished work? I've got a large passage of scripture. I just want to make some comments on it and we'll be out. Hebrews chapter four, verses what, four to six. And then we're, I want to look at verses seven to 10 here in a moment. Verses four to six. For he spake in a certain place, that's Genesis chapter two, verse two, on the seventh day on this wise, and God rested, God did rest on the seventh day from all his works. So he's taking us back to the beginning. You learn from this, verse five. And in this place, that's Psalm 95, verse 11, if they shall enter into my rest. That's your choice whether you enter into that rest or not. Verse six, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached, that's Israel in the wilderness, they entered not in because of, Unbelief. God wanted to lead them into the wilderness, from the wilderness into the promised land, but they didn't go in because of unbelief. And so God let their carcasses lay in the ground. He started over the new generation. But check this out, verse 7. Again, he limiteth a certain day. It's the Lord's day. A certain day. Saying in David, today, in other words, after so long a time, as it is said today, if ye will hear his voice, Harden not your hearts. For if Jesus, by the way, this Jesus is referring to Joshua. For if Jesus had given them rest, that's the, that's the Jews in the wilderness, had given them rest, that's the promised land, then would he not have, not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest 
to the people of God. That's the millennial reign of Christ. For he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Well, how do I enter into that work? How do I enter into that rest? It's not by works of righteousness, which you have done, but by his mercy, he saved us. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves as a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I can't work myself to earn rest. It does not work like that. I must allow him to do his work through me so that it determines what I do in the millennial reign of Christ. That's the answer. Where's Jesus? He is the rest. He is the rest that we find here in Genesis chapter two, verses one to three. Was that a lot? That was a lot to unpack, wasn't it? It is a blessed day. It is a sanctified day. No doubt about it. Doctrinally, historically, God blesses that day. He sanctifies it. It is his day. We're laying out for us the 7,000 years of human history, especially the 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ. But for you and I, how do we take that home? Jesus did the work. Will you believe that he did it? And will you find rest in that? You cannot earn your favor with God. You can't earn your way to him. If you're gonna enter into his rest, you gotta do it through Jesus and the finished work which he did on the cross. Took your sin upon himself, died a death that you deserve, died your death, and conquered over sin, death, and hell, and resurrected the third day. Will you trust in that? Because if you do that, the Bible says, that's where you'll find your rest. Let's close in prayer and uh, we'll be dismissed. Lord God, I thank you. Lord, for your word, I thank you for a body of Christ that just wants to be students of your word. Lord, I pray that it was challenging. I pray that it was encouraging, eye-opening. Lord, educational. Lord, I pray that we would find your rest to be blessed, to be sanctified, and to be full of full of rest. May we rest in your finished work. We ask this in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.